0: First Peter three one through I think twelve. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate. Hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes Rather it should be that of your inner self The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit Which is of great worth in God's sight For this is the way the holy women of the past Who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves They submitted themselves to their own husbands Like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her lord You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. and pursue it for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the lord is against those who do evil
1: thanks vonda thank you vonda good morning encounter church it's good to be back together again isn't it we enjoyed our time in the woods Uh, Last week, uh, there as a church family, and it's nice to be here uh, gathered under this roof, opening God's word, thankful for uh, Michael and his team leading us in worship, leading us in preparing our hearts for God's word today, and I'm glad you're here this morning to receive this word. Uh, I know uh, when you hear uh, Vonda read passages like this, especially when uh, verse 1 comes out and says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your, uh, your own husbands. Uh, you hear these passages, and especially in the world and the culture in which we live, um, sometimes I think we kind of, of course, put our guard up right away. And you wonder, okay, what's Michael going to preach like this morning? And will he still have a job by the end of the sermon? But it's passages like uh, First Peter, if I might just say a few opening remarks. It is passages like First Peter, in particular, verses three through six, especially three uh, verses one through six, rather in chapter three. It's in passages like these that have uh, sadly been wrongly applied in, in in far too many marriages. In other words, they've been taken to the extreme. Uh, in sinful ways. And even some in our church family have experienced and have found themselves in a marriage where the husband has selfishly demanded submission in ways that are nowhere near what the Bible teaches on how a husband should treat his wife. And so a sermon like today's on a topic like submission in the context of a marriage. This sermon is not going to be able to properly address every marriage relationship and every specific situation that might even be represented in this room, uh, that might be represented by those who are watching or listening at this very moment, or even in the future who might pull this up and watch it or listen to it at a later date. In fact, there are, there are far too many nuances when it comes to the struggles and the sinful behaviors that marriages face For me to be able to address every specific scenario. But my hope this morning, first and foremost, is that I will be biblical. That I will preach according to God's word. And what some people might feel is a lightning bolt passage. Instead, you will walk away from this sermon with great hope. And that you will be encouraged to know that God has your best interest my best interest in mind and that he has established guidelines and boundaries so that we can walk in a way even in our marriages most certainly in our marriages that honor him Uh, and so so i'm going to be sharing as well that that in this passage right my hope is that we will be able to identify the overall theme of peter's instruction in these specific verses, and to recognize that there are several general applications that can be followed by all of us, not just wives in response to their husbands, not just husbands in response to their wives even, but all of us, whether we're married or not. And I also want to say that if you are watching, if you're sitting here, or if you're watching or listening to this sermon, and you find yourself in a marriage where you are being treated in such a way that is what could be classified as abusive or the treatment in your marriage seems to be trending in that direction, my strong encouragement to you is to tell someone and to seek help. And depending on your situation and the severity of your situation, the police even might need to be involved in that conversation Again, I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a licensed counselor. I won't pretend to be one. I am quick to know when the situation is far outside uh, my salary cap. Uh, But I do know therapists and counselors who are licensed and who are ready and willing to help you. And I encourage you to get that help um, so that you don't have to suffer in silence and so that you can learn... um, what is best action according to God's word in these situations. And also, maybe you, and this can be husbands or wives, maybe you are the one who is causing the mistreatment or the abuse in your marriage. And if you find yourself, and if this morning as you hear these words, um, I pray that God's spirit would convict your heart and that you would repent And that you would receive the forgiveness and that you would learn how to honor the Lord in your marriage and how to treat your husband, if you're a wife or your wife, if you're a husband, how to treat them in a way that is good and pleasing to the Lord. And so and in that situation, if you are the one who is causing the harm, then you, too, need to reach out. And ask another brother or sister in the Lord to come alongside you. So that you can learn the way that God has laid out for us. In all these situations, I want you to know that beyond, again, this morning's sermon is not able, the time permitted, is not able to address every specific scenario. But I do want you to know that help is available. And I encourage you to step out of the shadows and to receive that help. If you find yourself there. So with that being said. I want to ask the Lord to help us. I will add a little bit more prayer. (laughs) Along with Bill's prayer. Not praying because his didn't do the job. But just I know I need the help. And so let me pray. God I do ask. Lord I echo Bill's prayer And I ask, God, that you would help us, Lord, that you would be the teacher here this morning. God, you have given us your word to give us a glimpse of who you are, your love for us, and how we can live as your followers. And God, I pray, Lord, that this morning you would... um, strengthen our hearts and enable us to trust in your word as we listen to these truths and then god that you would help us to apply these truths as we as we leave this place lord uh, revive our hearts um, this morning i pray in jesus name amen Uh, orderliness in any organization in a community a team sport uh, orderliness in a, in a family or a business, orderliness in a government, orderliness in a church, and all of those relationships, all of those organizations, orderliness is important. It's orderliness in these relational arrangements that allows those who are involved to be able to function in a way that promotes faithfulness and flourishing. Uh, Orderliness and any type of structure allows every role in that relationship to have a specific responsibility that is then carried out in a beneficial way for everyone who is involved. Take, for example, if you were to go to an upscale restaurant, uh, there's all types of different roles, right? You walk in the door and you are met by the host or the hostess and they will Lead you to your seat, you have the waiter who shows up, or waitress, they show up and take your order. Then after you're, you're done eating, you leave, and the bus busboy comes and does his job, or the bus gal, and she does her job. And all the while, you've got a whole host of people back in the kitchen that you never see who are fulfilling their roles. On the football team, right, it's football season, isn't it? The quarterback has a role, and the lineman has a role as well. And they have specific roles, specific responsibilities that, that go hand in hand, that work together. If the lineman on the offensive line doesn't do his job, then the quarterback can't do his job either. If the quarterback fails to fulfill his responsibility, then the lineman is going to become frustrated as far as like, why am I working so hard for you to just keep throwing interceptions? As well in the classroom. The teacher, he or she has a role, and the student has a role. Maybe you are in the field of construction. You understand that the general contractor has a role, and the plumber has a role. Maybe if you've ever flown the friendly skies, you understand the pilot has a role, and so does the airline mechanic. Put yourself in that situation. Could you imagine if you were boarding an airplane, On your way for a fall break vacation, and there, as you stepped onto the airplane, you were actually greeted by the airplane mechanic, and he begins to tell you that he is actually going to be the one piloting the plane today for your flight. The mechanic is standing there in his greasy overalls. He's shaking your hand with his greasy, he's shaking your hand with his greasy hands, and he says, welcome aboard. I hope you enjoy the flight today, as I will be the captain of this plane. I can only imagine that if you and everyone else who's boarding that plane, confusion and frustration is going to be experienced by every passenger wondering why has the pilot abandoned his post and instead allowed the mechanic to sit in the captain's chair. I think we would all say, right? Uh, It's like that old commercial that that we heard uh, a year or two ago, Right. it's the instructions, stay in your lane, bro, right? It's like mechanic, get back to the engine, pilot, get back to your chair. There are roles and responsibilities. People have been gifted in different ways and orderliness in these roles and responsibility, these or, this orderliness is for everyone's benefit. And inherent in orderliness is the practice of submission. At times, there's a direct line of submission where organizational structures, a boss and employee relationship, at times there's that direct, clear, direct line of submission where organizational structures determine who's in charge. While at other times, there's a mutual submission where we submit to each other in different ways. And I thought of this illustration the other day is as you're driving down, right, maybe on the Gene Snyder or the Watterson, And driving around, you see the signs for construction two miles ahead, and then it says construction one mile ahead. And what do you start to do? You start, and it says left lane closed. You start to practice mutual submission so that there can be orderliness as you travel through the construction zone. And so as you get closer and closer to those cones that are going to start creating that bottleneck that's going to start cramping you over what do people do you just say okay I'll just start getting over and the guy who is now behind you he submitted to you in a mutual way allowing you over when do we get frustrated and upset in those scenarios when the guy or the gal driving the sports car thinks they're better than you, and they continue to zip in that left lane and try to get over at the last minute, don't they? Why are we upset? Because they've not practiced mutual submission like we have. Now, if you at this point in time are now convicted because you are that person who doesn't get over in due time, but may the Lord forgive you of that sin as well. But we see all throughout life, there is, orderliness can only happen when submission is practiced. And when we have this submission, there's a unique beauty that is displayed in relationships, right? There's a unique beauty that's displayed in a a winning sports team that would not be possible if it weren't for a willingness to take on an attitude of voluntary selflessness because that's what submission is. It's a voluntary selflessness so that everyone can benefit. Now, we understand, right? We get it. We say, okay, yeah, right? In a perfect world where the boss loves the employees well, when, when the government takes care of the citizens well, when the husband loves his wife as he should and honors her as he should, right? In the perfect world, we understand it's then easy to submit to other people. It's, it's easy to do that, but what happens, the question then is what happens when someone whom I am to submit to takes sinful advantage of their position over me and begins to mistreat me? Right? What if that person even begins to not only just mistreat me, but, per, but begins to use my faith as an excuse to per- persecute me? Right? What am I as a follower of Jesus in that situation where mistreatment is taking place, what should my response be then? So now we turn our attention to chapter 3. In fact, it's important for us to even, even turn our attention to some of the verses leading up to it, Bill did a wonderful job a couple weeks ago reminding us that our address, our, our, our eternal address is not, is not in this world as it is currently, this sin-saturated world, but instead we are aliens, we are strangers, we are traveling through this time. But in those verses leading up to chapter 3, Peter is addressing those followers of Jesus Christ. He would have been writing new believers Again, right, as the gospel, as the resurrection of Jesus, as we learned as we walked through the book of Acts a number of of months ago, that that people are coming to faith. And so what it's doing is it's, it's kind of upsetting their apple cart a little bit. It's changing the way in which they live. It's changing the way in which they respond to people. It's even inviting mistreatment by those in those structures of orderliness whom they are to submit to. And so Peter is helping the readers to know, he's reminding them, we don't live in a perfect world. Mistreatment will happen. So as a follower of Jesus Christ now, how do you respond to that mistreatment? And he tells us, so let's even, again, let, let's look back here. Again, just jump back to chapter 2, verse 11. And ever so briefly, we're just gonna, we're, we're going to fly over this ever, very very quickly uh, but what he does is, because I, I want you to see, it's not like Peter is just picking on the wives and the husbands here. <laughs> All right, he's, he's addressing the believers at large in these different situations. And so he begins there in verse 11. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, there it is, that persecution, that they may see your good deeds and what? And glorify God on the day he visits us. Now look in verse 13. What's that, first, what's that first word? Submit. So again, he's not just picking on the wives here. He says, submit yourselves. Why? For the Lord's sake. To every human authority. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. Again, so, so now he's saying in the governing structure for an orderliness, there's a submission That should take place. You jump then to verse 15. It says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Then in verse 18, he addresses the slaves, right? And and we might be able to put this in our context today as as an employer-employee relationship. So in today's language, we might say employees, right? Or slaves. In reverent fear of God, what's he say? Submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, right? Those are the, those are the easy times to submit. But again, he's, Peter's giving instruction. How do I submit when I'm being mistreated? Or what should I do as now a follower of Jesus Christ? He says not only to those who are good and considerate, but look at this. But also to those who are harsh. Some translations might say those who are unreasonable. Verse 19, he says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your your credit, oh man, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. He goes on, he says, To this you were called, why? Why why are we willing to endure mistreatment as followers of Jesus Christ in these various contexts of orderliness? Why? Because we're reminded that Jesus suffered too. That Jesus suffered too. And this is where then he he concludes chapter 2 with these instructions of we look to Jesus and we're reminded of Jesus that when we find ourselves being mistreated by the world, that that we're not alone in this mistreatment. In fact, our very Savior endured mistreatment too. And then verse 25 of chapter 2 ends on such a comforting word. He says, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. He says that if you find yourself and you feel as if you are all alone in your mistreatment, don't 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 find yourself there. He says, "Be comforted knowing that there's a loving shepherd who is protecting, guarding and protecting your very soul, and will see it into completion unto completion. And so now. Now, we, So we take all of that, and again, what's he doing? He is, he is saying, how do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, and all of these different organizational structures, government, boss, employee, now he's taking it into families, how do we respond when we are mistreated? And I think, really, the big idea the overarching theme for this morning is he's going to say, let the gospel govern your response to mistreatment. Because he's right. the temptation is, is like, before following Jesus Christ, if, if my boss says a hurtful word to me or does something to me, I'm going to re- retaliate. I'm going to seek revenge. I'm going to try to get even in that situation. Right, but, but now, because, and that's, that's where chapter three, as Vonda read for us, chapter three, it concludes with these verses, whoever loves, who, whoever would love life and see good days, there in verse 10, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil, and what? And do good, because before following Jesus Christ, for these followers of Jesus Christ, that would be their tendency, is to repay evil with evil. But Peter is saying, allow the gospel now instead to govern how you respond to mistreatment. And so he turns his attention specifically here to the wives. And, and, he's, going to, and he's going to tell them really several different primary, primary points as they sit under and, and as their husbands um, sin against them, all right, so he's taking this same theme and he's carrying it along, trying to help them know how to respond. And the first response that he has here, the first instruction he gives them is this, is to let your actions speak louder than your words. To let your actions speak louder than your words. Let's go ahead and jump right in. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband's so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Now again, I believe that these words of instruction can also be rightly applied to other relationships, to other organizational structures. All right, because let's face it, we can tend to respond when we are mistreated, we can tend to respond with a critical or with cutting words toward a person who mistreats us. Right, each of us, we all have quick access to the power and to the strength of biting and cutting words. Right, when we find ourselves backed in a corner, it is very easy. To lash out in a verbal word or a verbal in, in verbal speech of some way right we 're tempted to fire back words that are dripping with poison, that are dripping with salt water, we're even we 're even quick to fire back with words that are that are argumentative, that are pleasing our case, and, and these all might be well intentioned words, even at times we might fight back with scripture, words that are indeed <laughs> beautiful and honoring to the Lord. But by that sinning husband, in this context, by that sinning husband, he has heard many, many times some of those same verses and his heart is so callous to it, he doesn't care if it's God's word and it's only going to cause him to become even more enraged. And so what Peter is saying is that when you're mistreated, And again, I'm going to say husbands and wives, but I'm even going to apply this in other situations. He is saying instead of words, let your actions speak. He says let your actions shout the gospel. He is saying when your husband mistreats you, when he sins against you in various ways, and understand, again, like we we hear these words and oftentimes we apply them in some of the worst case scenarios. All right? And I believe, as I mentioned at the start of the sermon, in some of those worst-case scenarios or marriages that are trending in that direction, I believe it is healthy and necessary and vitally important that you seek help. But I'm also aware that in the vast, hopefully, Lord willing, in in the majority of our relationships, of our marriages in here today, uh, the reality is, is that husbands sin against their wives. I have sinned against my wife this week. I have at times tried to take uh, an unfair advantage of her at times. There have been times where I have said things or done things or led in ways that I am ashamed of and that I have had to repent of. And so we have to understand that, again, I I believe in some of those worst case scenarios or marriages that are trending in that direction, there needs to be a point where you call for help. But in the majority of these ways, he is speaking to a lot of us who may be throughout the course of our week, the course of our days, it's tempting to fight fire with fire and try to bite back in our words. Now, it could even be, and I, and I also believe that Peter is specifically addressing new believing wives where their husbands have yet to believe, be, because he, he refers to them as men of disobedience in some translations, or men who are not obeying the word, and it seems, which would have been which would have been something that would have been taking place as the gospel is going out. These, believe, these people are believing the gospel, and it's, it's no guarantee that both the husband and the wife are going to believe at the same time. In fact, it's probably more unlikely that they're not going to believe at the same time. And so he's addressing especially these wives, believing wives, who find themselves married now to unbelieving husbands because the wife has come to faith since they made the, that marriage commitment. And so it very well could even be that maybe these wives have even shared the gospel with their husband many times. It almost seems that Peter is instructing them to lay off a little bit on sharing the gospel with their husbands because he's heard it far too many times in his mind. Right? If the husband is so obstinate as to refuse to listen to her, well then maybe the next best thing for her at this season of life is just to kind of pull back a little bit. And that's where Peter goes on and he says, let your actions speak louder than your words. He says that your husbands, look there in verse 1, he says that your husbands may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your wives. And so how do we respond, whether it's in the marriage relationship, I believe whether it's in an employee-employer relationship, and all of these relationships, that when we are mistreated, I believe that our lives and the actions of our lives should be speaking louder than our words, and that we should be very careful to guard our words so that we are not repaying evil with evil. And then he goes on speaking here specifically to the wives. He says, let your beauty be internal. Verses three and four. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now for many of these, some of these women, again, these new believing women married to unbelieving husbands, for some of these women that Peter is writing to, uh, one of the lies that they may have struggled with was that, that maybe their husband would stop mistreating them if only they were more attractive, if only maybe they had more physical appeal, throughout the, right, they're blaming themselves and saying, maybe he's mistreating me because he thinks I'm ugly. Throughout both the Old and New Testaments, outward adornment was an obsession by some women living in this day and age. In fact, in Isaiah chapter three, Isaiah the prophet, he describes how some of the women focus so heavily on outward adornment, and and even referring to some who claim to be Believers, right? Believers in the coming Messiah there. And here's what he says. He says, the women of Zion are haughty. They're walking along with outstretched necks. They're flirting with their eyes. They're strutting along with swaying hips with ornaments jingling on their ankles. The bangles or the bracelets and the headbands, the crescent necklaces. He goes on and he he describes the earrings and the bracelets and the veils, the headdresses and anklets and sashes, the perfume bottles and the charms, the signet rings and the nose rings, the fine robes and the cakes and the cloaks, the purses and the mirrors and the linen garments and tiaras and the shawls. Right? I mean, he is just describing these women whose focus is on outward adornment. And don't be impressed with this all right don't be impressed with that description because in this time isaiah is actually speaking judgment on those who focus so heavily on outward adornment and so it could even have been that for these women peter is writing here that for that, that, that for them to try to win over their husbands through outward adornment and external appearances, it actually might only fuel his mistreatment of them rather than causing him to turn his heart away from that sin. Now understand, all right? There's nothing wrong with wanting to be beautiful. I think for all of us, right? We probably put on maybe a little bit of a nicer set of clothes, to come here then maybe we would go out to mow the yard or do some chores right we there's nothing wrong with this of wanting to be beautiful but the instruction here is not to abandon all hopes of a nice appearance of a nice appearance instead the instruction to these wives is don't prioritize outward adornment over inward beauty it's a beauty instead that allows god's beauty to shine through you Right? Allow the beauty of a changed heart to be attractive to the husband, to, to help him, to, to, to pique his interest, to, to whet his appetite for the things of Jesus Christ. Right? Allow the beauty of that changed heart, a changed heart that is now selflessly serving. A, a changed heart that is now uh, caring for others, a changed heart that is now spending time in the hiddenness of prayer. A changed heart that is living out the fruit of the Spirit. Where, where, out, where your outward adorn, adornment is, is the overflow of your beautiful heart. A heart that is filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those adornments are to be displayed even when we're being mistreated. Again, in any type of relationship. And specifically, Peter instructs the women to have a gentle and a quiet spirit. Gentleness, what is gentleness in this context? It's strength under control. It's where you certainly could respond in a much different way. But gentleness is where you have have controlled that strength. Gentleness is the person who has something to say but says it in a respectful and a controlled manner. He goes on and he says, the woman of a quiet spirit remains composed. Right? That quiet spirit is that of a composure and an undisturbed uh, spirit that demonstrates a peaceful demeanor because of the wife's trust in the Lord. We have to understand that what will be far more attractive when we are mistreated. Again, I think you can go back, whether it's a boss, an employee, whether it's a government official, as a citizen, whether it's a husband or a wife, what will be far more attractive is who you are on the inside. The the true beauty of a woman is from her gentle and quiet spirit. That's a beauty that never fades. That's the beauty that is of great worth in God's sight this week. Uh, Marin for her job, uh, she, uh, she takes phone calls and she's able to um, work from home. And so I hear Marin often on the phone as she's working various shifts. And so people call in having questions and so Marin tries to assist them. And uh, when Maren, uh, when she hung up the phone... Uh, she um, she walked over to and, and like her her eyes were her eyes were welled up with tears like a tear hadn't actually like <laughs> broken the the, uh, the eyelid and would tear, but you you right you can just tell when there's when there's a, a softness there in the eyes and um, she said she said Michael that woman I just talked to on the phone sounded so much like my grandmother. Now, if you've been around, you've probably heard me talk about Grandma Myers before. But as I, as I, as I think of, of someone whose internal beauty continually radiated, it was Grandma Myers. In fact... Uh, I've seen pictures of when she and grandpa first got married. Grandpa uh, Myers fought in, in World War II. In fact, yesterday I went back and I was reading through some of the letters of correspondence that they exchanged with each other. And I thought future generations are going to look on our text messaging and the letters that they wrote during World War II and think, these people are a bunch of losers, right? Text messages, yeah, and all this stuff. Like, they don't know how to write a good letter, but I thought of grandma, and like I've seen some of those pictures, and she was like she was from an external appearance, she was m- like a model, absolutely stunningly beautiful. And over time, as we all know, right, time uh, kind of has its way with us, no matter how much we try to fight off or fend off that beauty or fend off the. The sin of this world and the effects of aging on us—age always has a has a way of being a few steps ahead of us. But even in Grandma Meyer's old age, right, she carried around with her in her purse several sticks of several things of lipstick, right to match whatever she was wearing. And so there was a concern. She, she often looked nice. She had very uh, modest necklaces. She, she always looked nice externally. But there was a beauty about her that was unmatched. Unmatched. And that, that the aging process could not touch. And I'm reminded of that. And and I believe that as followers of Jesus Christ, we need these men and women who have walked before us, who are beautiful and handsome on the inside, whom we can learn from and say, how do you respond when you're mistreated? What does that beauty look like? People who we can look to. And it's then at that point where Peter then addresses that this third point right he says now let your hope be in the lord he's he he reminds them right let your actions speak louder than your words when you're mistreated he's he says let your beauty be internal because you might think if only i look more pretty if only i'm more fit if only i spend a little more time at the crossfit gym maybe my husband will start to treat me better If only I have a a stronger appearance, maybe my boss will respect me more. But Peter says, let that beauty be internal. And now he's going to, in in, in this final point in verses 5 through 6, he's going to say, let your hope now be in the Lord. And Peter then encourages the women to consider models of faithful women of the past. To consider people like Grandma Myers. Or for me to consider people like pastor ken dalton who has spoken in my life for over 20 for nearly 20 years now people who are beautiful and handsome on the inside and so he he draws these women's attention back to sarah of the old testament of the book of genesis and the reason why these women these models that peter is pointing these people to look toward he's He's helping them to see that these women submitted themselves to their husbands. They submitted even when they were mistreated, not because their husbands were necessarily deserving of their respect. Understand that you look at the Old Testament and these men had seasons of faithfulness and seasons of utter failure, of unfaithfulness. But through that, the women practiced submission because they had entrusted themselves to the Lord so that there could be an orderliness that was maintained. And why did they respond in that way? It was out of obedience to the Lord that these women chose voluntary selflessness. He says, Sarah, which I, I think, man, there's got to be some better examples in the Old Testament than Sarah. But he draws our attention to Sarah, who she was far from she was far from a, a perfect woman. Peter presents her as a model to follow of a woman who allowed her husband to lead even when she may have felt very differently. Sarah made the voluntary choice to follow her husband Abraham not because she ultimately trusted in the Lord but because her hope Or not because she trusted in Abraham, rather. Let me correct that. Not because she trusted in Abraham, but because she trusted in the Lord. Because that's where her hope was. Right? How many times did Abraham come to Sarah to tell her that God had instructed him to do (laughs) some other crazy idea again? Right? Something foolish. Hey, honey, we're going to pack up all of our belongings and we're going to move. Where are we moving? I'm not exactly sure yet. I don't know. But we're moving got to leave your family, your loved ones behind, your pickleball club, all those people. We're moving. We're going to a new land. Or what about this? Sarah, God told me that we're going to have lots of grandchildren. (laughs) Wait, how's that going to happen, honey? You're out of your mind. You're crazy. We can only imagine how terrifying it could have been to be married to Abraham and to follow his lead without a clear understanding of the who, the what, the when, and the why, of all these plans, all these ideas. But yet, in Scripture, rather than responding in a hysterical or panic-stricken ways about the future, Sarah is presented to us as calmly submitting to her husband. Why? Because Sarah's hope was not in her husband, but her hope was firmly planted in the Lord. Believing that God's purposes will be achieved in spite of her husband's failures. And so Sarah chose to have a willing attitude to allow her husband to lead, and God blessed her for it. In fact, in Hebrews 11, verse 11, we are familiar with that chapter as the hall of faith often is, it's called. Sarah is mentioned. And listen to how the author of Hebrews regards Sarah. And by faith, even Sarah, who was passed childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him who was faithful who had made the promise it wasn't an Abraham it was because she looked to the Lord and she said that is where my hope will be planted you see when we allow our hope, and if I may just speak specifically to the wives here, when you allow your hope to be in the Lord and you're able to to acknowledge your husband's failures, to not ignore them, but instead to look to the Lord and let your hope be set in that, it frees you up then to regularly and honestly and sincerely pray for your husband's. It allows you to live out biblical instructions on how to love your husband well. Not because he necessarily deserves it. These men that Peter is is highlighting, they didn't deserve to be respected in that way. But because, Peter says, let the model that you are following be that of one who lets their hope be in the Lord, then you entrust the entire situation to God. When our hope is in the Lord, we're able to guard our hearts from a spirit of self pity or despairing thoughts. When we allow our our hope to be in the Lord, we do lovingly and wisely confront our husbands, the husband in his sin, when those opportunities are made available. When. The wife lets her hope be in the Lord. She seeks the counsel and the comfort of other believing women who will help walk alongside her. She doesn't seek their counsel just so that she can vent. She seeks their counsel so that they can walk alongside her and speak into her life. When the wife allows her hope to be in the Lord, she is then able to serve as her husband's cheerleader and not as a as a constant critic. She's freed up to be able to offer words of praise and encouragement whenever possible and those opportunities might be few and far between but you are searching hard for something to encourage him about. Why? Not because he deserves it but because you like Sarah your hope is in the Lord. You're able to fall asleep at night knowing that you've sought to honor the Lord even when mistreated. And ultimately then you remind yourself that your value is in the Lord. And that that value, that love that God has for you will never be diminished by your husband's mistreatment of you. See, when we hope, when our hope is placed in the Lord, we are better equipped to endure mistreatment. Whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in the government, whether it's in our marriages. And by placing our trust in the Lord, we're motivated not so much by present benefits, but by our heavenly hope and by our eternal rewards. Right, often it's the love of God that flows through us, which which we express to our unbelieving or our sinning spouse And and we allow God's love to flow through us because our hope is in the eternal. We look forward to the future. We look forward to the eternal benefits that are not seen, that are not experienced, that may never be experienced in this present world, in this, in this marriage that you've committed yourself to. And yet, because of these eternal promises, we're obedient to the Lord and we willingly choose selflessness. Trusting in God and His Word. Now, Peter then seems to turn his attention to the husbands, who at this point, I would suggest, are believing husbands. Husbands who now believe and who, in this day and age, have now taken on a revolutionary way to treat their wives. For the the normal, the the, the average husband in this context would have viewed their wife as nothing more than a a piece of property. But instead, what Peter does is he helps the husbands see their responsibility. And wives, please do not misunderstand me. We could indeed, and one day we will, (laughs) preach an entire sermon on the husband's responsibility. But here, Peter is turning his attention to these men. That the men too are to be submissive as well, ultimately submitting to the leadership of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in his life. As well, also when necessary, when appropriate, sharing in a mutual submission with his wife as well. Peter tells them look there he says husbands in the same way again keep carrying on this entire thought theme that he began all the way back in chapter 2, verse 11, right? Verse, verse 1, he begins, he says, Wives, in the same way. Now in chapter, in verse 7, he says, Now, husbands, in the same way, what? Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Peter is telling these husbands These new believing husbands who very well could be now married to unbelieving wives. He's saying it's the duty of the husband to view your wife differently. To honor her, to respect her. It's the duty of the husband to study and to know his wife. He's he's giving us this instruction to be a student of your wife so that you can care for her well. Right Here's the charge to the husband. It's to exercise his loving duty of being sensitive to her needs, being sensitive to her fears, being sensitive to the feelings of his wife, and, and to subordinate his needs, to put her needs first. You go to ephesians chapter 5 and paul will will give even greater detail on what that looks like to put the needs of the wife before the husband's own needs and this is whether the wife is a christian or not that husbands are always to show courtesy and companionship to their wife the husband is to recognize the wife's physical limitations it's not, he doesn't speak about, of her as the, as the weaker part or in, in a demeaning way. He's merely just speaking of as far as when it comes to mu- in a muscular, in a physical way. He's saying recognize her physical limitations and keep all of these considerations in mind. Pastor Warren Wearsby has a good word for us here. Listen to this, men. It says, the husband should, should treat his wife as that of an, an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase in which she is a precious treasure. Sadly, after many men get married, many husbands forget to be kind and gentlemanly. And they start taking his, their wives or his wife for granted. The husband forgets that happiness in a home is made up by all the little things including the small courtesies of life. Listen to this. This would be worth recording or rehearsing, reminding yourself, memorizing. He says, big resentments often grow out of small hurts. Big resentments by the wife often grow out of small hurts. Husband, there is no insignificant hurt. It matters how you treat your wives. And I'm looking over here to some newlyweds and soon to be newlyweds. This passage is so important for you. Because this goes contrary to what the world teaches and what the world preaches and if Trent and Addy were sitting there, I would say the same thing to them. Heed God's word. Follow it. Trust it. Obey it. You won't regret it. You won't regret it. And so husbands, here's a couple important questions, heart-probing questions for you, and maybe Pastor Dan can send these out later. The question is, do do I view my wife as my partner or my competition? Do I view my wife as my partner or my competition? Husbands, right, as we honor our wives, am I quick to forgive her or do I hold on to grudges? Husbands, do you study and seek to understand and know your wives better? Husbands, how are you waking up every day looking for opportunities to serve your wife? Husbands, are you easily offended? Or are you sensitive to your wife's feelings, her ideas, and able to truly listen to what she has to say? Right, if you're easily offended and she has a remark an area that you might be able to grow in, you'll shut that off and you'll respond in anger. But if you trust your wife, if she is your partner, you'll listen to, some, to, to, to her, her commentary, to her, her thoughts, to her opinions, so that you can learn and so that you can grow in that. And then finally, another helpful question is, is in what ways am I intentionally helping my wife to grow in her relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're sitting here, you're a husband, and you struggle to lead. Maybe you find yourself as one, or maybe you even find yourself who, as one who is controlling. Maybe you do mistreat your wives. And for that, you need to ask for God's forgiveness. You need to ask for your wife's forgiveness. And you need to invite others to walk alongside you to help you in your marriage. My encouragement, men, as I've encouraged the women to find other godly women who have gone before them who are beautiful on the inside, my encouragement to you, men, is to find another mature man who can come alongside you for mentorship, who you can learn biblical leadership skills from so that, husbands, you can honor your wives and that you can encourage them and together seek the Lord. Gentlemen, our men's retreat is coming up here in just a a, a few weeks. Sign up. We're talking about the importance of mentorship. And I'm excited that Pastor Ken Dalton, the one who I mentioned earlier, he is going to be sharing with us on Friday night and Saturday morning. Pastor Dalton has been such a wonderful encouragement to me. He has talked me off of the ledge of crazy ideas more times than I'd like to admit. And he has spoken truth in my life. And He'll be there to help us where we can take even what we're learning here this morning and apply it and live it out. So gentlemen, get there. Be there. Show up. Participate. On Friday night, we have a, have a time in which for marriage enrichment. Listen, you are not beyond the need for encouragement in your marriage. I don't care if you've been married 60 plus years. I don't care if you've been married... Two weeks. You need encouragement. And not only that, you can be an encouragement to other people. And so on Friday night, both sign-up sheets are out there on Friday night at 6.30. We need you to show up and to be here so that we can take what we've learned and discussed and now apply it. Dr. Uh, Paul Tripp does a wonderful job. It's a video series, and you might say, it's not live in person. I'm telling you what, this video series is is dynamic, it's dynamite, and it will cause you to ask the hard questions and be an encouragement to you. So all that being said, what do we want to do right here is to let the gospel govern our response to mistreatment. Is to let the gospel, and again, whether it's in, as Peter begins, whether it's in government, civilian, boss, employee, husband, and wife, whatever that is, he says, when you are mistreated, because you will be mistreated, allow the gospel. He's giving us some general themes that we can apply, and how should I respond to this mistreatment? Would you just pray with me here? And God, now, uh, thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. God, I just pray that uh, this would be um, hope-filled for all of us, whether we are married or not. But God, that we would be reminded uh, that ultimately our hope is in you, regardless of how we are treated. And um God, we see that hope displayed for us there on the cross. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. And so, God, I just pray, Lord, for each person who's heard this, and myself as well, Lord, train our hearts to be obedient to you and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.